Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Banter Podcast. This is episode 47. I'm your host, Ben Cohen. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Luciano. Mike, my friend. Ben, I am inspired, and I have Ted Cruz to thank. We're recording this on a Friday, as we usually do, and CPAC is underway. That's the Conservative Political Action Conference. That's the annual Republican hoedown that they have. This year, it's in Orlando. Straight fire. And let's check in and see how Ted Cruz is doing. In the immortal words of William Wallace, freedom! I don't know what that was about. I didn't watch Ted Cruz's speech. All I saw on Twitter was that seven-second clip. But I'll just say freedom indeed, like the freedom to not wear a mask, even when the hotel that CPAC is at requires people to wear masks, which, of course, many CPAC attendees aren't doing because freedom and because Jesus take the wheel. Can I can I unhear that, please? Can I? I don't know. I've got a, just a visual of I haven't seen the footage, but I've I can now in my mind see Ted Cruz screaming freedom um, in front of a bunch of rabid Trump supporters. This you have to sort of give it to this guy for being the most desperate, um, shameless son of a bitch, probably. In, I mean, of all active Republicans right now, right, just take away Donald Trump, is he, he's got to be the worst. Like, I, I can't think of someone worse than Ted Cruz. Can you? No, well, Ted Cruz is the original OG. He's the original stand-up for the Constitution, uh, pose Trump. He makes fun of my wife's looks, said my dad killed JFK, but he wins the nomination, then the presidency, and now I love Trump, and so I'm kowtowing to his crowd. Now, he's he is the original OG, or, or should I say original OC, the original cuck, because no one has been cucked more than Ted Cruz, and I include in that Lindsey Graham. And to me, it's not even close. He's the undisputed OC. King of cuck. King of cuck. He just it just goes from bad to worse, really, doesn't it? Like the guy can't shame and humiliate himself more. Uh, yeah. It would be impossible to 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 do that. But it, the the thing is, that, that I think we're in kind of this interesting era now with re- re- Republicans. That I mean, what do they even do anymore? What is the point of Ted Cruz? What does he stand for? What does he do? Right? You know, we saw this during the the snowstorm in Texas, right? When he literally just left, and then conservatives are like well yeah it's bad but you know what was he supposed to do like he's the fucking senator right in texas so he has a role to play right he can help people i mean christ better o'rourke was out there organizing getting people you know um blankets and fundraising and this kind of stuff and this guy's not even elected to office right so you know, but what what is his role in politics? What is he what is he doing other than trolling li- liberals? There you other go. Other than being an arsehole. When you said what is his role, I said it actually rhymes with role, and his role is troll. So his role is trolling. Yeah, he's that. That's it. That that's it. I mean, that, this is a very sort of. I think we're in a very sort of precarious moment in in history, really. When that that is the point now of like i think it was chris hayes who did a whole piece on this that it's kind of performance is like performative politics where you don't actually do anything other than that troll liberals that's it that's your point i mean that's what marjorie taylor green is about as well she's not there to do anything she's there to harass liberals that that's about it yeah and that's really what cpac is generally and has been for a long time but this year, I mean, it's always been a freak show, but this year it's going to be the freakiest yet. And, and Trump is slated to speak right around the time this podcast will drop on Sunday. So we will not be talking about about Trump's CPAC speech or really anything else about CPAC, at least this week. And uh, I am not the least bit sad about it. We're actually going to shift to foreign policy for a hot second. A couple of items dropped last week. The Biden administration released a four-page declassified report confirming what we all knew, basically, and that is that Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, a.k.a. MBS, a.k.a. BFF of Jared Kushner, uh, ordered the killing of Washington Post columnist 
It's Jamal Khashoggi. This is like, it, like I said, it's not surprising. It really doesn't reveal anything that hadn't already been reported. The only real difference was the, the, the Biden administration placing the blame squarely on the shoulders of MBS for ordering Khashoggi's killing. But then another item drops right on the New York Times homepage. I mean, these two different stories are like inches apart from each other on the homepage. President Biden has decided that the price of directly penalizing Saudi Arabia's crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, is too high, according to senior administration officials, despite a detailed American intelligence finding that he directly approved the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, the dissident and Washington Post columnist who was drugged and dismembered in October 2018. Goes on to say, officials said a consensus developed inside the White House that the price of that breach in Saudi cooperation on counterterrorism and in confronting Iran was simply too high. It makes me wonder what the threshold is. Is like Jennifer Rubin the line? You know, is Eugene Robinson the line? Like how many, you know, and, and I am being somewhat flippant here, but I'd like to know, like Saudi Arabia is valued for its, you know, cooperation on the counterterrorism front, supposedly. So what is it that the United States is willing to let them or let individuals within the royal family get away with? I mean, I think the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia is is one of, I mean, it's a fairly sort of disgusting relationship, really, isn't it? I mean, it goes back, um, you know, decades now, uh, we, we are kind of collaboration with the Saudis, which is one of the worst human rights abusers on the planet. And and I, I think, you know, in this case in particular just highlights how completely sort of thuggish and, and um, insidious uh, the Saudi government is, the Saudi royal family is. And, and, you know, the fact is that, you know, this is, you know, real politic, right? This is a kind of, uh, there are political calculations here. Obviously, uh, that that are that happen when it comes to these kind of these kind of crises, right? That that what what is an appropriate punishment when you're dealing with a major with, with an ally, a, a, a repellent ally? You know, what can you do? What can you say? It's like it's interesting, you know, how the Fidel Castro um, historically compared to what the Saudis Saudis do to their population. You know, the Castro brothers have done nothing. To, to their population, relatively speaking. Obviously, I'm not a I'm not a fan of the government in in Cuba either, but you know it, it, you're comparing apples and oranges. Whereas you know there are lots and lots of uh, there's a lot of big performances made over human rights abuses in places like Venezuela as well. Like Venezuela, you want to compare Venezuela and Saudi Arabia? I mean, again, you know, no comparison whatsoever. Venezuela is like a kind of a, it's a paradise of human rights compared to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. You know, you can be a woman driving in Saudi Arabia and you can be beaten. You can be whipped publicly. You know, you can be killed for being a homosexual. I mean, it's it's a uh, you know, so yeah, I think it's it's a it's a real sort of travesty the, the, what's happened here. Um, and I don't know, um, you know, it, it's kind of a shame that the Biden administration hasn't come down harder. I think it's, yeah, it's a real shame. And it goes against what Biden said on the campaign trail. I, he called Saudi Arabia a pariah state with, quote, no redeeming social value. But this is just us, like you said, just sliding back into things like, well, we have this long-term relationship with Saudi Arabia and they really help with counterterrorism. You know, and this is said despite the fact that the vast majority of the 9-11 hijackers were Saudi. The, the, the man who masterminded it was Saudi. And I have no doubt it was funded uh, in large part with Saudi money. Oh, yeah. We, I think that, that's, that's fairly obvious. Um, but also, I mean, look, you know, you, again, I think um, th- there is a degree of, uh, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who work in the State Department. I have a lot of friends who work in government, in the British government as well. And, you know, they, it's quite interesting talking to them about how do they feel about doing business with all these disgusting regimes. And they don't like it. They don't like it, but they recognize that, like, you know, um, that's just what international relations is. That's what diplomacy is. That's how things, that's how the world works. So, you know, I'm, again, you know, I'm willing to not. Uh, I don't think this is the you know there's a lot of people on I was on Twitter and um, the, the 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 hard left are are out with their knives out for Biden 
um, that he's you know he's sold out and this is politics as usual and and I mean to a good degree yeah it is politics as usual it's a shame that these things happen but that that is sort of that's just that is the reality of 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 politics and that's also the reality of what administrations have to kind of deal with uh, it, you know how do they navigate these complex um, issues with with ally, with allies that you know they personally find completely abhorrent. Yeah, um, so I, I am, I'm willing to cut Biden some slack on, on, on this. I think it's a shame, um, but I think he has other things that he needs to to, to concentrate on right now. Uh, that that would be my that's my my feelings about this. Is that yeah, it does. It's kind of irritating, but I also think that there are other things that he should be focus, he, he needs to focus on that 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 take priority, such as bombing Syria. Ooh, oh, I'm really. Am I? Am I trolling our audience right now? Yeah, yeah, I think. So. Well, you know, look, you know, no, I, I bring yeah. it up as a, I bring it up as a, as a, a legitimate point here, and this is the other item of uh, foreign policy news that we're just briefly going to talk about, and, and it actually, believe it or not, it does seg into the minimum wage battle, thanks to Matthew Iglesias, but. Biden has gone through the rite of passage that all relatively new presidents seem to go through, and that's bombing the Middle East. Um, Last week, he ordered airstrikes inside Syria on Iran-backed militias in retaliation for rocket attacks uh, they allegedly conducted on U.S. targets inside Iraq, which reminds us there are still 2,500 U.S. soldiers in Iraq, just like there are 2,500 U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. And Matthew Iglesias, he had an interesting observation about this on Twitter. He said something like, you know, the genius of America is that you need a supermajority in the Senate to raise the minimum wage, but... Meanwhile, the president can unilaterally decide to bomb another country justified by an authorization for the use of military force that was passed 20 years ago that has absolutely nothing to do with Syria or the militant groups involved in said attack, right? So the A the AUMF was passed in 2001, and it authorized the president to you know, go after those who uh, carried out 9/11 and related groups, i.e., Al Qaeda and any of its cohorts, and now it's you know it's been used to like bomb Libya, bomb Somalia and Syria over the last like ten years or whatever, however long we've been there. So um, the bipartisan consensus on uh, the U.S.'s right to bomb this, that, and the other country uh, it continues. Yeah, so I mean, what what are your feelings on uh, on the actual bombing? Do you think um, do you, do you have an issue with the with the bombing, or would you have an issue with the pro uh, with how the how it was done? Where's your angst about this? Where's your irritation? So the U.S. retaliated because U.S. targets were attacked inside Iraq, and so my question is, why are U.S. forces inside Iraq in the first place? And this has been the conventional wisdom for a long time now, and I don't share it. And it's that the United States needs to maintain a permanent military garrison in various places in the Middle East. And I just don't share that view. I don't think we should be there. I think if allies are attacked, I think the United States should be ready to lend a hand. But I don't believe we should be keeping soldiers over there permanently. I mean, it has been 20 years. This year will be the 20th anniversary of the invasion of Afghanistan. And, you know, next month is going to be the 18th anniversary of the invasion of Iraq. Like we've been in Iraq for 18 fucking years. We've been in Afghanistan for 20 fucking years. I mean, we're going to have soldiers in Afghanistan, if we don't already, pretty soon, who weren't even alive when 9-11 happened. And the, the, the authorization for the use of military force was passed, right? So like – but still being used to justify being in these places. So my beef is, is at a much deeper level than just whatever attack happened last week. So yeah, I, I share with – I share your sort of – um, your feelings about this, the frustrations about why 
the hell we're still in the Middle East. But like all of these issues, I think they are incredibly complicated, right? And I think it goes back to um, what Colin Powell told George W. Bush when he was, um, you know, ginning himself up to invade Iraq, that he said, that if you break it, you own it, right? And, and that's essentially what has happened, is that we broke Iraq. We, we broke it. Um, and the Bush administration's mishandling of the post-invasion Iraq was one of the most severe sort of foreign policy mishaps in history, right? It was an absolute catastrophe. They completely screwed up the occupation of Iraq and the, you know what happened to post, post-invasion Iraq and created a sort of a militant breeding ground um, and did allow... You know, Iran has now become the dominant player in in the Middle East, and it, and it, you know, look, the Iranians—they're not. It's not a benevolent government, right? They they have their own um, sort of uh, geopolitical ambitions in in um, in you know in that area, uh, and they are you know, Iran is a, is a pretty dangerous player. Right, uh, so you've got this sort of tinderbox going on in, in in the Middle East, and whether we like it or not, we're there. Right, so I think um, you know I, I didn't really have a problem with what Biden did. Obviously, I think you know just anything bombing anywhere is is not good. Right, it's it's really not good. But if you look at how he did it it's clearly he's sending a message to the Iranians and he, it was an incredibly carefully calculated and calibrated attack um, designed to send a message to the Iranians saying, look, I'm just sending a message saying like, you know, don't stop bombing targets that stop, stop bombing our targets and and we'll stop bombing your targets. So it was proportional um, and designed such that they can continue speaking they can continue with dialogue right and and you know these are the sort of games that politicians have to play right when when they get into power that you have to play these kind of um to, to, to you always want to try and de-escalate these situations but you also can't be seen to be allowing you know uh, if you have strategic ambitions in the region um then you can't be seen to ha- you know have someone come and come on your turf and and um uh create create chaos so i think what biden did within within that kind of framework within that logic like he what he did was fairly sort of you know i saw the lot i can see the logic behind it i hope that this leads to um that they still can continue um negotiating Uh, and i think that that's what biden's ambition is is to was to limit the damage and ensure that they can keep they can continue dialogue and try to um get back to the to the table and undo the damage that the trump administration has done you know with the the trump administration essentially just blew up the iran deal right completely point it's just a kind of needlessly destructive um aspect of the of the of trump's foreign policy was was bidding that and it was only because obama had spent you know months and months and months years in fact um uh getting iran to the table and and doing a kind of comprehensive deal so i and i think biden wants to do exactly that i think biden wants to do exactly he wants to continue the obama administration's policy towards iran which is i think widely broadly speaking it's a positive thing you know um so I think within that logic, yeah, like he, he what he did was 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 rational. Um, but then having said that, yeah, I, 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 I we should not be in the Middle East anymore. But it's not that simple, you know. Um, the US pulls out, you create the chaos is is when I mean, we saw what happened in post invasion post invasion Iraq. I mean the rise of ISIS. Like this is this is a sort of an you, these are risks that we can't afford to take. You can't afford um uh the Middle East to to descend into what it did in post invasion Iraq again. You know? Um it took a sort of an inhuman effort to beat back ISIS. Uh so you know I think um you want to sort of uh very carefully get the players back to the table, you know, um, try to craft some sort of peace agreement. You remember, you've also got the Israelis, the Israelis who are um, uh, threatening to bomb Iran as well. I mean, they, they will bomb Iran. If Iran keeps doing this, Israel is going to intervene. And the Israelis are have absolutely no fear whatsoever. And they will 
they will do a lot more damage than 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 the United States would to Iran. So I think Biden has to be careful about that. That's what Biden also has this in mind that he wants to do. He wants to keep the Israelis out of this because if the Israelis get involved, then it shit really hits the fan. Um, so you know, there's a lot of very complex fact uh, things going on here, uh, and I don't I don't envy the Biden administration and, and having to deal with this, you know, like it, yeah, I think it's a very, very tricky situation. Um, uh, and I'm sure Biden feels pretty fucking stupid about having um, voted for the Iraq war or voted to authorize force um, in, in Iraq um, uh, and, and ha- having had a hand in, in sort of creating the situation. So um, if you listen to what Obama said, Obama made an interesting point that, uh, having made that mistake about Iraq, like Biden was was afterwards, uh, he he was became incredibly cautious about any activity with, with foreign policy about using using military force. So he kind of learned from that. Um, that was Obama's take on on on, uh, on Biden and his 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 sort of uh, perspective on on the use of, of of military force. So I think you know Biden is. He, I think he's going to be careful here. And I think what he did was quite careful, given the circumstance. I look at the body of work the United States has left behind in the Middle East, not just in the last 10, 20 years, but like 50 years, 60 years. And I'm not impressed, but we could bang on about this uh, all day. But we do have we do have to get to the minimum wage. Yep. Um, so you got to be in your bonnet with the uh, I bought with the uh, Biden um, administration uh, this week, Mike. We we uh, let's hash it out. I'll lean into it. Uh, speaking of minimum wage, Senate parliamentarian Elizabeth McDonough ruled that the minimum wage hike to fifteen dollars an hour in the COVID relief bill is out of order because it is not germane to the federal budget. And of course, Senate Democrats are trying to pass. The COVID relief bill through budget reconciliation, which requires a simple majority, 51 votes, as opposed to the 60 votes they'd need to break a Republican filibuster through regular order. And there is no way Democrats can get $15 an hour minimum wage through regular order at this point. So to be clear, this is an advisory opinion. The president of the Senate that's Vice President Kamala Harris, has the authority to overrule the parliamentarian. And were she to do it, 60 votes would be needed to overrule her, right? Which good luck getting 60 votes on that. But this isn't something we need to worry about because Biden's chief of staff, Ron Klain, said before the parliamentarian even rendered an opinion on this, that the Biden administration would not overrule the parliamentarian. And after she ruled that this should not go in, Bernie Sanders said he's working on an amendment to the bill to strip tax deductions from large corporations that don't pay their workers at least 15 an hour and also provide incentives to small businesses um, to raise their minimums to 15 bucks an hour. So, Ben, why won't the Biden administration overrule the Senate parliamentarian? Well, I think that they haven't done it yet, um, and I think they're going to see my, my guess. And from what I've been hearing from, you know, Nancy Pelosi uh, and Biden, who's not happy about this, uh, is that they're going to try to get it through in another way. Um, so, you know, I'll wait to see. You know, Nancy Pelosi has said that um, that the uh, that it's going to remain in the bill. So we'll we'll see the House Democrats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to go to the Senate. We'll see what happens in the Senate. We'll see what they what they come up with. You know, I think um, you know Schumer was uh, was was um, according to the Washington Post is considering a move to include the provision in the relief bill in the Senate. So uh, I think that's interesting. I want to see what happens. You know, that that's that's what I want to see. I want to see. Uh, how they deal with this because um, obviously I think the key thing here is 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 to pass this stimulus package there's a lot of good things in this stimulus package um, and it's a it would be a damn shame if they don't get the minimum wage um, through this time I think it's a good opportunity to just do it 
so I, I hope that they can figure out a way to do it. I don't think that it's lack of commitment from the Democrats or from the Biden administration. Right? I, I, you know, I, I want to see what they, how they navigate this. I think it's a bit too early to to um, to then to basically condemn Biden and the Democrats and say that they've they haven't delivered on this because the you know we don't know what's gonna we don't know what's in the bill yet. We don't know how what's gonna happen when it gets gets to the Senate. What are they gonna do to it? I mean, we know that the Republicans aren't aren't going to to go for it. You know that that that's a given. So really, it's going to be the Democrats kind of you know negotiating with um, the, the the more the more the, the more centrist uh, the more centrist Democrats you know like like Joe Manchin. So I want to see what they come up with. Well, well, wait a second. There are three ways the Democrats can get their fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage through. Okay, conceivably, one is through reconciliation that is now out the window because the Biden well, administration not necessarily, not well, necessarily no, they've, the they've said that they're, they're not going to overrule the parliamentarian. I mean, they were pretty clear about this. The second is they get 10 Republicans on board. They'll get, they'll have a filibuster proof majority, right? They get 10 Republicans. That's not going to happen. Not on $15 minimum wage, not on, probably $12 minimum wage, at least not in an up or down vote on the issue. Or door number three is you get rid of the filibuster, which is what the Democrats can do with 51 votes. But both Senator Joe Manchin and Senator Kirsten Sinema, who are Democrats, said that they will not support the end of the filibuster. So it looks like the Democrats' $15 minimum wage looks like they're shit out of luck. And the only way they could conceivably get this through is by overruling the parliamentarian and seeing whether senators like Manchin and Cinema aren't so appalled by it that they nonetheless vote for the bill anyway. Because if they vote no on that bill, they would be voting no on the entire COVID relief package. So as I see it, I at least would like uh, I, I wish the Biden administration would not ha- hadn't ruled out overruling the parliamentarian by this well, point. I, and, and I would just I would just like to see, like, f- maybe float the idea and see how the mansions and the cinemas in the Senate react. You know, I, I would at least like to to catch like at least get caught trying here. Yeah, and uh, but I think that that's what's I you know again I, I think it's too early to say what happens here you know they've their White House has indicated that it doesn't want to do that but they might do you know they might they're do, not going to you know, do it this, how much do you want to bet I smell another bet here uh, <laughs> we are not getting no fifteen more no more bets so so, so, <laughs> so look the the you know look like Biden um, has a signal to like he signaled to Republicans. They wanted to talk about the COVID, uh, the COVID bill. He invited ten Republicans, ten senators to come in and 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 uh, chat with him about about um, uh, amendments to the to the relief package. And then he basically said, "Okay, yeah, we talked, and you didn't you didn't offer me anything. You didn't say there was nothing that I, I you you're not being serious, right? This is what you were proposing is not enough. So he's ignored them, and it looks like the one point nine trillion. Um, dollar package is going to pass right um, without any Republican support at all so I think you know let, let's wait like I, I would hope that they would I hope that maybe they decide they take a chance and decide to overrule it I think it would be politically you know I, I understand the danger that this represents if you if you ask um, uh, Cinnamon and uh, Manchin to to uh, if you put all of the onus on them to put to pass this thing uh maybe the pressure would be too much and they'd have to they'd have to go for it uh but i understand why that might be difficult why they might say you know joe manchin is is a pain in the ass this guy i mean i get it like i get why he's in a in a state that voted 70 percent for trump trump well i think it was 69 percent of the vote for Trump. how the hell he managed to to remain uh, how you managed to get reelected is I, I don't understand it. I mean, he was a pretty it was a pretty narrow victory. Uh, so he's hanging on by by you know by a thread in in West Virginia. So 
he doesn't really he's not he's he's interested in 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 being re-elected so I kind of understand it's a, it's a tricky situation. I think maybe you know you've got to sort of see where the wind blows on this one. It's like whether they, if he think if Biden thinks Cinnamon and Manchin are going to fold, then he should run it through. Then he should put it through. And my guess is that's what he'll be doing. He'll be trying to figure out: Are they going? If I ram this through, will they? Are they going to support me? Um, I, I think that it's too it's too early to condemn them all and write them off as being. As, uh, I'm as not condemning. I know uh, I'm. I'm not condemning them as sellouts. I'm just talking about the mechanics of this here. I haven't said, "Oh, Biden sold everyone out. Democrats sold everyone out." I'm just talking about like the actual procedural, the boring Senate procedural mechanics here. And, and the reality is, as far as far as I can tell, fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage ain't going to be in this COVID relief bill on the Senate side. It will be on the House side as you pointed out, like Pelosi's indicated that they're, they're not taking it. Yeah. Up. They're not dropping it. Yeah. But, they're not, not going to drop it. But, but this, this is going to come to a head cause it's not going to be in the Senate bill. I mean, there might be, there, there might be like a, a, you know, like this thing that I mentioned with Bernie Sanders trying to, you know, take away tax credits for large companies that don't pay their employees at least $15 an hour. They may get something like that. Who knows? But as for like a clean, straight up, the federal 15, minimum wage, yeah. it's fifteen bucks. That's not going in there. So I mean, I want to see what they what they come up with. And but it's who to blame? You know, who who do we blame about this? I, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a tricky one. You know, I think there are a lot of considerations that go, that go into this, and 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 maybe we don't get everything that we want straight away. You know, I think it's a, it's a shame. You know, if 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 it doesn't happen this time round, I mean, fifteen dollars is not much money. No. And by the way, a couple of points here. I'm old enough to remember back in 2001 when the Senate parliamentarian made a ruling that the Republican majority leader didn't like, and the majority leader fired him. Trent Lott fired him because that's how Republicans roll. Yeah. I guess. So maybe if the shoe were on the other foot back then, you know, maybe who who was the Senate leader back then? I think it was Tom Daschle. Maybe, maybe he, you know, oh, this, the parliamentarian ruled against us. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll take it. Fine, we'll just accept it. But but in the other point here is just I don't understand this aversion to raising the minimum wage to 15 bucks on the part of some politician. Republicans, I get it. Whatever Biden wants, they're going to oppose it. But it's very popular among the, the public. It's con- it consistently polls around 60%. It's popular with Trump supporters. It's yeah, popular in with Trump November, supporters. In November, Florida, which Trump won, Florida voters approved a ballot mo- measure raising the state's minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2026. It outpolled Trump in the state. It passed with 61% of the vote. 61% of Floridians said, yeah, hike that fucker up to $15. I'm not aware of any polling in West Virginia or Arizona on the minimum wage hike or a possible minimum wage hike. But I have to imagine a majority of the voters want this stuff passed. So I don't understand like this mansion, like, oh, I, I really need to tread lightly on minimum wage because – West Virginia is one of the three poorest states in the union, and the idea that raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour would be unpopular in that state, like, yes, Trump carried it, as you said, with almost 70% of the vote. But the idea that West Virginians would be like, yeah, no, $15 an hour, that's too much, or like, yeah, I'd like $15 an hour, but I wouldn't want the Democrats to do anything like against procedure or something that's like breaking Senate norms. No voter cares about that. No voter cares about Senate procedure. They don't care about the bird rule. They care about results. No, I, 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 I get it. It's, it. it's a very weird situation that it's basically Senate Republicans or it's elected Republicans who are, who are against this, whereas most of their base is now for it. You know, most well, I don't, maybe not most Republicans, but a, a significant number of Republicans are for this. So it does strike me as being it's we're, it's a strange situation where this stuff is sort of, um, you know, the, at least the Republican Party is so out of whack with where the majority of Americans are um, that you know, you know, the games that they play. I mean, it was like listening to um, Marco Rubio talking about. Child, child credits, you know, like Mitt Romney's idea that you'd give 
parents cash to basically you know as, as a sort of a supplement for childcare and for you know, food for example making sure that children have enough to eat it, his bill would lift um, literally millions of kids out of poverty but Marco Rubio said no 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 we can't do that because that would be you know that's welfare right you need tax credits tax credits work fine but it, it, they obviously don't because you've still got millions of kids living in poverty right um, and Mitt Romney's thing, Mitt Romney's proposal uh, would be hugely popular. All of these, you know, like Medicare, um, Social Security, um, Medicaid, these things, these social programs are massively, massively popular with the, with, with the population. And it basically, it comes down to elected Republicans who uh, uh, say, you know, this is, uh, we're on a slippery slope towards socialism and, you know, um, it's sort of a crazy situation. And that's one of the kind of, I thought was the interesting thing about the, the Trump administration was that Trump sort of tapped into this new sort of populist movement that was essentially socialist. You know, Trump was essentially sort of advocating some kind of weird form of, 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 of socialism. Um, you, you know, so I think that the, 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 the Democrats can kind of like, I think they should, I think that they should, um, pay attention and, and, and understand that most of the country is essentially where they are and, and, and push these things through because they're popular. One last point uh, about this before we move on to Mitch McConnell. Talk about 2022. Can it's we minimum- get through 2021? Can we get through 2021 first? Sure. But a minimum wage hike, it's, it's a good thing for Democrats to have done going into next year or at least – if it's not a $15 minimum wage, it could be 13 12 something. Something Democratic incumbents because, as we know, historically in midterms, the president's party does not usually fare very well. So it's, it's going to be – yes, you'll want to gain seats. You'll want ch- challengers to Republicans to beat those Republicans, but also – it's going to be about the incumbents having to run on their record. And it will be helpful for Democrats to have something to point to and say, look, we raised the minimum wage to $15 or $12 or whatever it is. And if you reelect me, I'm going to fight for more. And, and, and not that that will be the only issue or the main issue next year, but that's where Democrats want to be on this because where you don't want to be if you're a Democratic incumbent in a general election next year, is having not passed the minimum wage hike that you campaigned on in 2020, or at least many Democrats campaigned on in 2020. Again, there are going to be other issues there, obviously. But when it comes to the minimum wage, what's your talking point there if you're a Democrat and you haven't done anything? Right, like vote for me, and I'll fight for higher wages, just like I told you two years ago, but failed to get done. That's not a good spot to be in. You want to be able to campaign on things you said you were going to accomplish, and did, rather than, well, I fought for this thing, but it failed in the Senate because it had to go through budget reconciliation, and then the parliamentarian ruled it out of order. That's not going to fly. People want results. They don't care about procedure. They don't care about the bird rule. They don't want to hear excuses. They want results. And that's just the last thing I'll say on on this. You make a persuasive argument. You make a very persuasive argument. Thank you. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell. Mitch. uh, Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell. This man is an enigma. And and I'm actually, uh, you know... you almost have to admire it, I guess, because the man is a, he's, he's just, he's a mystery. He's a total mystery. So Mitch McConnell, <laughs> he said, before, before, before I get to where we are, I have to get in the way back machine to earlier this month and Donald Trump's impeachment trial. As we all know, Mitch McConnell voted to acquit and After he voted to acquit Donald Trump, he gets on the floor of the Senate and he makes this speech, which is seemingly, you know, this part of his speech anyway, is totally at odds with how he voted. 
that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. No question about it. The people who stormed this building believed they were acting on the wishes and instructions of their president. And having that belief was a foreseeable consequence of the growing crescendo of false statements, conspiracy theories, and reckless hyperbole which the defeated president kept shouting into the largest megaphone on planet Earth. That could have been and basically was the House manager's opening and closing arguments. Okay, so Mitch McConnell makes this speech after voting to acquit, basically saying, yep, he did it. And of course, that did not sit well with ex-president Donald Trump, who released a statement reading, quote, the Republican Party can never again be respected or strong with political leaders like Senator Mitch McConnell at its helm. McConnell's dedication to business as usual status quo policies, together with his lack of political insight, wisdom, skill, and personality, has rapidly driven him from majority leader to minority leader, and it will only get worse. The Democrats and Chuck Schumer play McConnell like a fiddle. They've never had it so good, and they want to keep it that way. We know our American, our America first agenda is a winner, not McConnell's beltway first agenda or Biden's America last. Trump went on to say, Mitch is a dour, sullen, and unsmiling political hack And if Republican senators are going to stay with him, they will not win again. He will never do what needs to be done or what is right for our country. Fast forward to last week. Here's Mitch McConnell on Fox News. If the president was the party's nominee, would you support him? Uh, The nominee of the party? Absolutely. Ben, can you delve into the thoughts of Mitch McConnell here? What is going on in this man's mind? I think Mitch McConnell is is possibly the okay. Look, Ted Cruz is the most shame, shameless politician of them all, right? I think that Mitch McConnell is the most. What would be the? I I have run out of descriptive words to describe their coward cowardly sort of craven. Um, I can't, yeah, I'm out of words. I, how would you, how do you even describe that? This is a guy, this is a man who would be dead, right? If the police weren't there on Capitol Hill, um, ushering, you know, basically protecting members of the Senate, um, uh, members of Congress, uh, from Trump's mob, right? Mitch McConnell would probably be dead. They were coming to kill him, right? Uh, Along with other members of Congress. Um, he then he then condemns Trump. He won't speak to Trump. But then, just a couple of weeks later, he's saying, yeah, sure, I'd support the guy if he was the nominee. This goes into how, what a sort of despicable person Mitch McConnell is. A kind of an unthink, an, un, an emotionless computer, right? Uh, who, who just... All he does is sort of processes sort of political calculations, right? And how does he maximize power for the Republican Party? That's all he thinks about. There is not a single kind of moral bone in the man's body, right? That he would allow someone who essentially fermented uh, a a coup, right, on the United States and almost had him killed. It's unthinkable. It's unconscionable. Yeah, words escape me. I think that's right. I think McConnell does want to maximize power for the party. And I think that's what his whole absolutely I'll support Trump if he's the nominee in 2024 because he doesn't want there to be daylight. I mean, he knows where Republican voters are. He knows where his Senate caucus is or needs to be because they answer to those voters. But I am genuinely puzzled by the post-acquittal vote speech that we just played. 
that was very uncharacteristic. I thought like he didn't have to give a speech or he could have given a speech that was much more milk toast than the one he gave. The one he gave was pretty straightforward and squarely placed the blame on Donald Trump. So to me, that was really weird. He was trying to have it both ways. He voted to acquit, but then was talking like he was saying Trump incited the insurrection and he was hiding behind the the procedural fact. He was hiding behind the fact that Trump was no longer president. And he was arguing he was arguing that ex-presidents and ex-officials in general, I guess, shouldn't be convicted because they're out of office. So, but he didn't have to give that speech. The fact that he gave that speech was it was really weird to me, especially juxtaposed with his acquittal vote. Like, I just don't get it. Like, if his behavior had been consistent this this whole way through since the impeachment trial, a not guilty vote, not giving a speech or giving a speech that was pretty tepid all the way up to saying, I'll support him in 2024, then I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. That's Mitch McConnell. But that whole like speech in the middle where, you know, he's like Trump did it. That was really strange to me. And, and I guess that's the most puzzling part of this whole thing. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I think it's, it's fairly simple uh, that the Republican Party, um, they hate Trump. The party members hate Trump, but the base loves him. And so again, it's like this situation they have with them with the minimum wage, right? They Republicans are far, far, far out to the right of what their own base probably would would vote for, right? I mean, it's you know like things like Medicare, like Medicaid and Social Security. Republicans overwhelmingly support those social programs, right? Uh, Republicans are all Republican elected officials are always trying to get rid of them. They're always trying to privatize them. They're always trying to find ways to undermine them, right? Even when they, even when it's not popular with the, with their own supporters, um, you know. So they find themselves in this very very difficult place. That and and Trump was the only Trump was sort of came out and was willing to say, you know, I'm not going to touch any of this stuff. I'm going to boost Social Security. I'm going to make sure you've got more money for Medicare and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, and I'm going to um, make sure everyone gets, you know, everyone gets like free medical care. Everyone gets like everyone gets free stuff, right? So he was saying things that Republican wanted, but then out kind of matching Republicans, you know, like calling Lil Marco. And if he if that wasn't Donald Trump, if he was somebody else, he would have been written off as as a kind of a pansy liberal for for running on the platform that he ran on. Um, Republic, Trump did not run on, on a traditional Republican platform at all, right? So Republicans are now in this kind of weird place where they try to twist and turn and bend themselves into politicians that their electorate would vote for, right? So now that it's like, if you support Trump, um, GOP voters will go for you. If you don't support Trump, they won't. And I think McConnell, had put, he stuck his his little turtleneck out as far as he could in, in opposing Trump, as far as, as was politically feasible for him. Um, and then he realized quite quickly that his party isn't there, right? His party will basically hang him out to dry. Um, it should, if he continues speaking out about Trump. So like the little coward that he is, he, uh, he's gone back into his show and, and it just, I think it's sort of indicative of, of, of just how spineless he is as, as a politician as well, that he's very crafty. He's very calculating Mitch McConnell, but he's also a coward. He's also a very, a deeply immoral coward. He, yeah, he'll support Trump again if he thinks that's where the votes are. I don't know if it's possible to die laughing but I would be in very real danger of doing so, I think, if in his CPAC speech on Sunday, Donald Trump comes out in favor of $15 an hour minimum wage. Because then, <laughs> I mean, it's not going to happen. But it's, you know, Trump likes to speak off the cuff and just say things. He came out for $2,000 stimulus checks after he had signed $600 stimulus checks into law last December. What would happen if Donald Trump says, yeah, we should have $15 minimum wage? Then what do guys like Mitch McConnell do? What does a guy like Kevin McCarthy do in the over in the house? Like it would just be it would set off a mad scramble. I would actually pay good money to see that. Yeah, again, this is this is the problem now that Republicans have that Trump comes in and, and says things that he's not supposed to say, right? 
and that Republicans kind of want, you know. Um, the Trump supporters, they want all this stuff. They want all the freebies from government, you know. Um, they want to call the other side socialists, but they, you know, they they support all this stuff too. They just, they obviously um, too dim-witted to understand what it is. You know, that they're that they're that they're voting for. I mean, it, it, it seems kind of insane to me that you could um, uh, think that Donald Trump um, was a sort of, uh, or, or that Joe Biden was a socialist, right? Compared with, uh, you know, compared with Donald Trump, right? When they were both kind of offering politically fairly similar um, sort of economic. Um, you know, they were both very much pro-stimulus. They were both very much pro-infrastructure. Uh, they, there, there's a lot of agreement, really, when it comes to the economy. For on, on you know, aside from the the giant tax cuts for for billionaires, um, you know, closing corporate loopholes. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that they kind of agree on. Um, I'm not sure whether Trump. I don't know how you know. I don't know how. Uh, coherent his his economic philosophy is or his economic ideology is, but uh, but Trump supporters obviously this this doesn't seem to register at all. Um, but you know maybe it's the messenger. I you know this is I think what we've learned now is that Republican voters, if they're messaged the right way, they can get behind things like the minimum wage. They can get things behind like infrastructure spending. Um, Stuff like that, which is it's quite an interesting kind of phenomenon, you know. Uh, unfortunately, it's dressed up in fascism, which is uh, the the <laughs> which is the kind of uh, the 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 downside of what Trump has unleashed on the right. Um, you, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean that would be hilarious if Trump came out for the minimum wage because it, to a hike to fifteen dollars, because then what would the GOP leadership do? They would scramble. They'd yeah. probably get behind him. And I, I don't think it's so much the message, though. I think it's the messenger. And as yeah, it's the messenger. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, Clearly. I mean, he says jump, and they say how high. I think we can leave it there. I think we can leave it there. Uh, to all of our listeners, um, tune in to CPAC. You know, it's going to be a real... It's going <laughs> to be a real comedy show. Um, you can get to see Trump live on, uh, on Sunday. Um, hard, return, hard pass. Yeah, the return of the saviour. But anyway, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode. So you can also follow us now on Spotify. We'll provide the link uh, below in the article. So you can follow us on Spotify uh, and on iTunes. If you leave us a comment as well, we'd love to interact with our listeners. That would be great. You can leave a comment on the on the newsletter. If you'd like to get a 50% discount on a band's membership, you can do so by clicking the link. There's another link in the email that you can click there. Um, get you 50% off the year. You can get all of our premium articles. And uh, Mike, anything else from you, my friend? Ta-ta, everyone. Ta-ta. We'll see you next week. <laughs>